world of needs. If you're 15 to 24 years old, don't have a job, aren't in school, university or a vocational course, you are statistically at least known as a NEET, not in employment, education or training. For more than a decade, NEETs have made up more than 10% of everybody in that age bracket. Emile Donovan explores how New Zealand can utilise its unemployed, untrained and uneducated young people who now number more than 80,000. From a government statistical point of view, NEETs are unproductive young people. They're not working, they're not training, they're not studying, and there are a lot of them. More than 80,000 at the last count in early February. Successive governments have made big noises about getting the NEETs into training or work. There's been a huge amount of effort over the years to try and reduce that number and re-engage that group. We're going to do a a lot of things. First of all, we've got 13 million that's been taken from Kedna. And we're going to look at some of the... I'm sick and tired of watching the 'er ne'er-do-well nets sitting on the couch doing nothing, and I, as a Māori politician and a Māori leader, I'm not going to tolerate it any longer. And late last year, $50 million was set aside specifically targeting the regions where youth unemployment is rife. But so far, not a cent has been spent. It's a cloudless afternoon on the banks of the Porirua stream, complete with a flock of seagulls. People are bustling around the city, but not 24-year-old July Power. He is a neat. And apart from a couple of casual jobs on a relative's farm, he's been a neat since leaving school a decade ago. As a child, he, like others, had dreams for his future. Yeah, yeah, a rugby player. Yeah, 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 I used to play, play heaps of league up north. Yeah. And then, yeah, I started hanging out with the wrong crowd and then stopped going to play, play league. And when that dream started to fade away, he didn't have much to fall back on in terms of schooling. Yeah, it was like the second term I stopped going there. Eh? I just turned 14. Yeah. Nah, at the time, eh, oh, I thought, you know, eh, since I seen my friends in there not going to school, hanging out in there, and I was like, oh, I want to be like that. I don't want to sit in class. And then, yeah, I found out the hard way, eh, that sitting in class in there, eh, it, was the, it was the place to be. <laughs> July Power was born in Whangarei but moved to Porirua in 2011. He'd become involved with a bad crowd, gangs and drugs. He says he was in trouble with the law. He's got a young child, no qualifications from secondary school or vocational training. And while he wants to get into the workforce to support his daughter and his partner and to get a sense of direction and purpose to his life, he's finding that tough going. It's just like, you know, you try to find work and then like some, some sort of, uh, like some certain trades and you need like NZCA level ones in there and it's pretty hard if you don't got them. So yeah, I did this course, trade and commerce. Yeah, I did this course to try to help me get my NCAs. But I didn't even think I cracked them in the end, eh? Yeah. A 2016 paper out of the Auckland University of Technology says each NEAT costs New Zealand's economy a touch over $21,000 a year in benefits and lost productivity. In total, 
That's $1.5 billion every year. And that's even though, by most metrics, New Zealand's NEAT rate isn't that bad. At 11.9%, this country's proportion of NEATs is less than the OECD average. But despite bringing unemployment down to 4.5%, a nine-year low, New Zealand's ratio of NEATs has stubbornly remained above 11% for well over a decade. After peaking at about 14% in 2012, it's currently at roughly the same level as in 2004. With a building boom on, thousands of immigrants are being brought into this country to work as builders, concrete mixers and bricklayers. But in the meantime, there are tens of thousands of people here who potentially could be filling those jobs. People like July Power. Like I always wanted a job on the roads, eh? Yeah, like somewhere on the roads. Because tomorrow I've got my traffic control... My job in Tariq for traffic control, stop and go. Yeah, yeah. And later on, eh, I'm hoping to hopefully get my STMS and then just keep working my well, yeah, just keep going further in the roadworks industry. Yeah. Like for this area, yeah, my plan is just again, just to find, find some stability, yeah. Hopefully, yeah, just find something stable. Full-time, probably, yeah. Yeah. The day after talking to Insight, July Power was scheduled to have an interview for a stop-go roading job with local services firm Downers. One of the reasons he got the interview was because he recently gained his driver's licence, which happened through a local community group, Partners Porirua. Lack of qualifications, and that includes skills such as a driver's licence, is a huge barrier to employment. Many of us take such day-to-day achievements for granted, but if you never gained that fundamental education, such as basic literacy and numeracy, it can prevent access to even the most entry-level jobs. Partners Porirua works with local schools and youth to find and help young people who've fallen off the tracks and need a bit of assistance getting their lives back in order. It also helps young people who aren't especially employable to connect with local employers, as well as providing a mentor, someone who works like a case manager, to try to ensure the success of those work relationships. The support worker July Power knows best is Henry Samia. There's no real interface, so people talk about jobs being out there, but there's no real interface where the employer can meet the likes of someone who doesn't have much on a CV, is a really, really nice person, but just wouldn't get, they wouldn't even get a look in for an interview. Um, another barrier is that a lot of young people, um, some of them aren't quite uh, aware of the realities of, of work or what, what it takes to actually turn up on time and, and work for eight hours a day, you know, sort of the, the stereotypical working day, if you like, um, and they're not quite work ready. Henry Samia says it's not just education. There are barriers many people wouldn't even consider. Things like driver licensing, um, things like the cost of, of you know getting to work. So, f- for example, in Porirua, there might be jobs outside of Porirua that a young person's like, well, you know, travel there to get there is almost like you know, ten bucks each way, and I'm working for minimum wage, and I'm working two days a week. Is it really worth it? So, travel can be a barrier. Henry Samia has a mantra about success. It comes about when ability meets with opportunity. 
He believes most people have some sort of ability and know enough to spot an opportunity when it comes along, but some don't, and many of the people he works with have neither, and that can make it difficult to get so much as a toe, let alone a foot, in the door. The term NEETS often conjures up an image in people's minds, as it did with Regional Development Minister Shane Jones and the nephews he wanted to get off the couch. And some people are more susceptible than others to end up unemployed and out of training. Ethnically, Māori and Pacifica are vastly overrepresented, making up nearly 40% of all NEETS, and rural areas with high Māori populations like the Eastern Bay of Plenty and Tairawhiti have by far the highest rates of youth out of work and not in education or employment. But the young, untrained and unemployed come from all walks of life, and there's one demographic that's especially overrepresented. Hi. Natasha Peets is the single mother of two children. She's 24, lives in a suburb of Wellington, and is on the sole parent benefit, and has been since secondary school. Um, well, so I've never really been in paid employment. I, um, before I'd left school, I worked in like a cotton on as a retail um, sort of assistant, which was just over the summer um, as a casual, extremely sort of casual. Um, worker there and then every now and again the odd babysitting job for um, friends, kids and things and um, which is great the kids get a play at the same time as me sort of earning a little bit of play money but um, yeah no other than that no paid employment um, at all. So so how have you kind of lived over the years that you're on parents benefits? Yes I am yeah yeah so at the moment I'm on the sole um, parents benefit. You've got sort of obligations to meet and things such as when your youngest turns three you need to start looking for work um, and so for me looking for work sort of happened and it's yeah really there's all these walls that are sort of almost put up in front of you that you can't um, work for you know xyz job unless you've got xyz um, experience. 15% of New Zealand's needs that's 12,000 people are women aged 20 to 24 who are also caregivers and while that could mean looking after an elderly or disabled relative, it also encompasses young mothers. While Natasha Peets acknowledges that she made choices that have left her far behind her better-skilled contemporaries, she thinks employers in particular should be more open-minded when it comes to people who lack on-paper qualifications. Not enough emphasis, you know, nothing's really placed on being a, a parent, like there's... Obviously, you get a qualification for years of study, but for years of a parent, parenting, you know, say six, six or so years, you've got, you know, beautiful, awesome kids to show for that, but nothing in terms of employment, you know, which, of course, raising a family and running the household and paying your bills and all of that kind of thing takes, you know, a lot of determination and planning and management and all that kind of thing and problem solving and sort of on your feet thinking, which... All is quite critical in the workplace, but when you sort of write on your CV or so that you've been a parent for the last six years or so, it almost seems as though it employs it means nothing. Like it's not a piece of paper to say you've achieved X, Y, Z grades. It's actually just um, something they almost brush off as an inconvenience. She wants to become a teacher, but estimates that studying part-time, that would take about six years. Really, it would be fantastic if they did a programme where if you do want to be, say, a secondary school PE teacher, if you could actually work while you learn 
and do a bit of theory papers while you're there and um, get most of the practical skills done while you're getting paid. We'll definitely cut out the middleman of having to study and then having to work. And that's an idea that's borne fruit for a big local employer. For the past six years, the services company Downer has run a work experience program in secondary schools around the country. Working with community groups like Partners Porirua, the company heads into local high schools looking for students who might not want to stay at school or do any sort of training and who are unsure as to what the short-term future holds. Students who are interested are offered short-term paid work in the school holidays. They head along, see what it's all about, get an idea of the type of work and opportunities there are, and if they pass muster, they can be offered full-time employment afterwards. 19-year-old Emeo Kirk joined up in his last year of high school and has been full-time for more than a year now. So I was at Mana College and um, my teacher came up to me and asked if I wanted to do like a uh, kind of like a work experience thing. And I was like, yeah, I'll give it a go, why not? Then he told me he was at Downer and I was like, yeah, yeah, sweet, that'll be cool because my dad used to work here. And so I was like, oh, yeah, give it a go. Emeo Kirk repeated the final year 13 because he didn't really know what he wanted to do with his life. At first I was like, nah, yeah, I'm going to uni, I'm going to study, I'll be this and that, but it kind of never eventuated, eh? Like, after, after college I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to study, I just went through, you know, so many years doing it. I was like unsure if I wanted to carry on doing it. He says the Downer School programme was a good introduction to the world of work, because it took away the pressure of feeling like he had to be work-ready from day one. My first day on site, I was just sweeping up a bit of rubbish and I couldn't even use the broom properly. I had to get, oh, no, no, you use it like this and that. Was, I felt a bit embarrassed, but it was like, oh, you got to learn someday. It was, it was pretty daunting, but once you get to know the people, it's way easier. They help you a lot more when you're comfortable with them. At the age of 19, Emeo Kirk has just gained his forklift driver's licence and he's talking to his bosses about training to become a foreman, which he can do on the job with all costs covered by Downer. He earns a healthy wage and has no student debt to speak of. And Downer says it has plans to consolidate and expand its programme around the country, including into the regions. But what role does the government play in the effort to get needs into work or further education? I'm talking about young people who have seen their parents in a largely unemployed state. And unfortunately, they've grown up in circumstances where hopping into the labour market and then using that as a trajectory to go on and do something else hasn't happened. That was the Regional Economic Development Minister Shane Jones on Checkpoint with John Campbell last October, talking about youth unemployment in the regions. In July 2017, the then Finance Minister, Stephen Joyce, allocated $50 million to a fund dedicated to tackling regional youth unemployment. The program's name is He Potama Rangatahi, meaning Youth Pathways. The previous national government didn't spend any of that money, but nor has the new government since it came into power last October. However, in January, the new Employment Minister, Willie Jackson, announced the first outlay of funding, $13 million, which would go to four regions with the highest rates of youth unemployment, Northland, Eastern Bay of Plenty, Hawke's Bay and Tairawhiti. The goal is to use that money to get 2,000 neets into work or training. But that announcement was light on detail. 
It contained no information about how that money would be spent, how much would be going to whom, or what the best practice is for getting young leads into employment. And the plan was no more specific when Insight went to visit Willie Jackson. We're going to look at uh, uh, some of the proposals that have been coming from these communities. Now, what's happened in the last... uh, particularly in the last couple of years, is that communities have been talk- talking to government and they're saying, look, we've got, we've got ideas. We want to um, roll some of these ideas out in terms of our, our young people. We need some support. We need some resourcing. We need some funding. We need a strategy. Willie Jackson says the government wants local regions and communities to take the lead in addressing their own youth unemployment and he'll act as the bankroller for programmes that prove successful. I have confidence in some of the organisations that we have talked with, and some of these organisations are people, that are groups where they know the young people, where they know the backgrounds of these young people, where they know that these young people are going to need extra support. You can't adopt a punitive approach if the young person misses a day and then you can't just write that person off. You just There has to be some patience and some um, recognition of that. An employer in Whangarei who helps take on some of the young people needing to get their first opportunity in work is Mark Hansen, the managing director of Rosball Sawmill. The neat rate in Whangarei stands at nearly 16%. Pulling wood at the stage, so they're not really going to hurt anybody, damage anybody. But they'll end up driving a fourth, and then they'll end up. Although employment programs have been run in the past to try to help turn around these poor statistics, Mark Hansen says he doesn't now use them as the young people didn't stay. Instead, recruitment tends to be through the wider fano of the existing workforce, such as Jack Walker. Oh no, I think you've always had a job, haven't you, Jack? Yeah, I've always had a job, straight out of school, straight up to work. But Jack brings me needs, don't you, Jack? People without jobs and got potential but aren't connected and need to learn some good habits. Jack will be the guy that says, I've got a guy that must fill that job or we need to teach him or can we give him a go or if he doesn't give him a go, I'll get rid of him too. Jack's my man for that, aren't you, Jack? Yeah, well, everyone deserves an opportunity. Jack Walker welcomes the government's new focus and has ideas of his own over what's needed for Northland in the forestry industry. For us, is, um, you know, we want to sort of guide, have guidelines and guide the younger ones coming through, but there's no support there for them. And you know, for our workplaces and our industry, this is one of the main sources of incomes up in the north, and the government can make that more available to other people and, and work. That's only going to benefit not only um, you know, our society of people, but future generations. Mark Hansen says this works as family and friends can support the new staff member as they adapt to the disciplines needed to be in work. We're really looking for those basics. It's that health and safety. It's trying to get them drug-free, and that's a mission. Um, having them in stable accommodation is another thing. Sometimes you'll hire them and you'll find they've got no really where to live and then the next thing you know they're in Whangarei one week and they're in Nikaringi the next and then they've got transport issues and how do you get them to work. So they're, they're quite important. So sometimes when you're hiring connected um, people, whether they're cousins or nephews or friends or 
people they know of our current staff, often they'll buddy them and make sure they get them to work and then they'll make sure they get them home and then they'll make sure that, that you know, they won't ask for a job for them unless they're fully catered for. So we sort of buddy them up, you know. And that's been very successful. I mean, we have a lot of jobs, right, from basic labouring right through to highly skilled operators and we don't put any prerequisites on their... Qualifications as such, if they're showing promise, we'll treat them and we'll train them and we take that on. It's just this sort of pastoral care that's planned under the new allocation of funds, which focuses on beefing up the level of support community groups can give young people who want to get into work. But with a price tag of about $6,500 to get a young person into a job or training, it would cost nearly half a billion dollars to get to everybody. And Willie Jackson acknowledges that he doesn't have anywhere near the funding needed to make a serious dent. Well, I think it's obvious we need more money, but we need, um, we, you know, we need some successes too. And you know, if we can get some success, then obviously um, uh, you've got to scale this up. But National's employment spokesperson, Paul Goldsmith, says in light of recent employment law changes, the government is already pushing a wheelbarrow uphill. Well, five years ago during the global financial crisis, you had all these programs, but the jobs weren't available for people to go in, and that was a difficult time. Now we're at, we're at a sweet spot where the jobs are available, and so that's why these project programs are so useful. But, what, you know, but at the same time, you know, the government's saying we're going we're gonna to help these young children, and yet uh, they've taken away the 90-day work trial, or they're severely reducing that right at the same time. And, and, you know, that just doesn't make any sense to me because if you're looking at the most vulnerable workers, those who don't have skills, don't have work experience, come from a difficult background, uh, if you look at it from the point of view of an employer trying to take a risk, taking on an extra person, taking a gamble, do you think they're more likely to do that without having the ability to have a 90-day trial? No, of course they're not. So that vulnerable group is the one who's going to be the group who are going to be most affected by the labour market changes that the government are bringing in. So they're, they're trying to help them with one hand and they're making their job more difficult with the other. Paul Goldsmith says the government's plan to fund community groups to do the heavy lifting is probably the most sensible way to go about reducing the number of NEETs in New Zealand. One man who does know about eradicating unemployment is Dale Williams, a Porirua city councillor. His home overlooks a playground, and directly in front of his house there's an old fridge which has been converted into a miniature library exchange containing books the local kids can freely borrow and add to. But back in 2004, Dale Williams was the newly elected mayor of the small king country town of Otorohanga. A small rural community, population 2,700, with a cluster of significant family-owned businesses employing around 1,000 people. But rewind to 2004, it was also known for high unemployment, youth crime, vandalism, graffiti, a community struggling for identity. That is how Dale Williams described Otarahanga in a TED talk in 2013. While in office, he made getting youth into work his number one priority. And there's a reason for that. He was a neat before neats even existed. School had nothing for me. That was the days before Gateway and things like that. And, and basically, 
I wasn't smart enough to do exams and I just, anyway, so I left school, left town, left home, left school in the same week because there was no motorbike shops in our little rural community. Whereabouts is that? Tiaraha, that's where I was born. So much to my mum's disgust, I left, went to Cambridge, did an apprenticeship, worked there for five and a half years, only place I'd ever worked and then I... The business sold and I left and went to Otorong and started a business. So I was 23, married with a six-month-year-old, and I borrowed 20 grand. The interest rate was 24.5%, 1985, and I started a business. And I had 19 years in the motorcycle industry and ended up with shops in other towns as well. Made a lot of money, so retired in my 40s, and um, life's been good. But, you know, that the, what, what sort of resonated with me was that with my own pathway, when I started employing young people when I, as, a, as a young businessman, I found they were all identical to me. They were boys, often Māori. Um, their school report said hopeless, never going to achieve anything. And yet when they got into something they loved with a supportive background, they thrived. Dale Williams says his recipe was simple and pragmatic. Firstly, he encouraged trades academies and polytechs to produce glossy brochures which were placed alongside university materials to ensure both forms of training were on an equal footing. Next, he and his officials made local employers provide local educators with a list of attributes they needed in their entry-level employees and told providers to tailor their courses to those skills. Employers then agreed unanimously that local youths would have first dibs at jobs and knew they'd be coming in work-ready. Dale Williams thinks a lot of the problems Neats face stem from an education system which, in his view, places university on an unwarranted pedestal. You know, primary school, secondary school, university, tertiary, whatever, that's fine for those that 10 or 15% of young people who want to be a brain surgeon or want or, or need a degree to help them um, be more employable, ideally. But, you know, there's a lot of young people out there who um, that's not their career path. It's not saying that they're not capable of it, but it's not what they want. When he left in 2013, after three terms as mayor, Dale Williams says Otorahanga had maintained zero youth unemployment since 2006, although that's since slipped. Meanwhile, Willie Jackson says his calendar is booked out months in advance now as he travels around the country learning about local initiatives to get young people back into work. But there are big challenges ahead. While he has $50 million to play with in the regions, Mr Jackson is yet to develop a strategy in the main urban centres. And that's where nearly two-thirds of all NEETs live. But to end on a positive note, that stop-go job July Power was going for, he got it. That programme was written and presented by Emil Donovan. You can explore and listen to other insights from our page at radionz.co.nz forward slash insight or head to iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week we hear from another country laying claim to the clean green image that offers whale watching, spectacular scenery and puffins. Iceland. I'm Philippa Tolley and that's all from Insight for today. Join us again next week.